0: If you would, remain standing for the reading of God's Word and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And for context, I will be reading verses 17 through 20. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. the kingdom of heaven. Praise God for his holy word. Please be seated. So Matthew is writing to his fellow Jews for the purpose of them understanding that Jesus is the Christ, the long-awaited and promised Messiah. He wants them to understand that God's covenant with Israel, his promise to David and Abraham has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Matthew 1, beginning in verse 21, she will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 7, verse 14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So when Christ began his ministry, he opened with these words. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repentance, this is a change of mind, a heartfelt sorrow for sin, a renouncing of sin, and a sincere commitment to forsake it and to walk in obedience to Christ. It's a turn from sin and a turn to Christ. It's a change in thinking, emotions, and actions. This is what Christ was preaching He says repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus walked away from his time in the wilderness, not failing in the three temptations that he experienced from Satan, but holding to and holding up the scriptures. And traveling all throughout Galilee, he proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom. So as we continue today in the Sermon on the Mount, let us remember the context of this great sermon. Christ is sitting on the side of the mountain. and He has called his disciples to himself, and he is teaching them. Specifically in our four verses, he is explaining to them the proper view of the Holy Scriptures. And his teaching is to be believed by us today. Number one, Christ did not come to abolish the law or the prophets. Christ came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Not an iota or a dot, not the smallest letter or stroke will pass from the law until all is accomplished. And God's children are to know, obey, and teach His commandments. We do not set aside even one of the least of the commandments that God has breathed out. We have learned from the fulfill- about the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. We have learned about the high importance of God's law that we need for us to know We must know the Word of God. We must follow the Word of God. We must teach the law of God. And now we focus on the light of the law of God. Matthew 5, verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. We're going to look at three areas this morning. Area number one, the law of God and man's entrance into the kingdom of heaven the law of God and man's entrance into the kingdom of heaven. and verse 20, Jesus does not hold anything back. In today's churches, you can often walk in and you can hear something and you can feel like it's watered down. Jesus just speaks the truth and he does so perfectly. He informs his disciples and the crowd that is gathered that if one is to enter heaven, their righteousness must exceed, their righteousness must surpass that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Your righteousness must exceed or be greater than that of the scribes and Pharisees. The souls that enter heaven will have a greater righteousness than that of the scribes and the Pharisees. So Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, continues to discuss the law of God. And as he does, he is speaking of the great significance of the moral law. The law of God is an absolute schoolmaster. It shows our wicked and rebellious hearts and our need for a divine Savior. In God's law, we are see ourselves as we really are. It is a mirror that shows us our sinful spiritual state. Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 7. What then shall we say, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. So the law of God reveals sin. and the natural reading of God's moral law found in Exodus 20, we are confronted over and over and over again with our sin. You shall have no other gods before the Lord. There's not a soul in this room that is... Accomplish that this week. We have all failed. You should not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything. There is nothing or no one that is worthy of our worship except the Lord alone. You should not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You should remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You're to honor your father and mother. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet. And all these commandments, there's not a but, dot, 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 after this. Like These are things that we are to follow, that we are to obey. The law of God reveals our sinfulness, our wickedness before the Lord. And the law is good. And the law is Holy. Romans seven twelve and 13, So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me by no means? It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. So the law of God is good and holy, and it reveals our sin. We cannot keep the law. In Romans 3, verses 9 through 20, Paul gets to the point where he is discussing to these individuals, what then, are we, any Jews, any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged at all, both Jews and Greeks, they are under sin. As is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, and they use their tongues to deceive the venom asp is under their lips their mouth is full of curses and bitterness their feet are swift to shed blood and their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known there is no fear of god before their eyes if we just stop there we completely understand that there is nothing good in and of man and woman than by themselves i mean this is not something that you would want to hear So, we have been given the law of God so that we will shut our mouth before the Lord because we cannot keep it. I love those words, especially when I'm out sharing the gospel with individuals. Do you know why God gave us a law? So that we would shut our mouth. In the hearing of the law of God, we would realize we cannot and we have not kept it. Daily we fail, second by second we fall short. So the law of God reveals our sinfulness. We are guilty. God's law is good and holy, and we are not capable of keeping the law of God. So the law of God will not grant us entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Area number two, failing to enter heaven and unacceptable righteousness. Failing to enter heaven and unacceptable righteousness Matthew 5, verse 20, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus has just stated that the scribes and Pharisees do not have an acceptable righteousness. They would not enter heaven. And those who do enter would need a greater righteousness than what they have. So before Jesus arrived, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were highly thought of. So these words that Jesus just uttered and spoke, they would have been shocking to his disciples. Because if anyone knew the Old Testament Scriptures, if anyone focused on the law of God, if anyone focused upon the interpretation of the Scriptures, it was the scribes and the Pharisees. There was nothing greater beyond them. They were known for high morals. They were known for their good works. They were the experts in the law. If you had a question, you went to them. They were the scholars who knew the scriptures. So before we look at the only acceptable righteousness, let's look at the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. And for that, we have to move forward. So please join me in Matthew chapter 23. In Matthew 23, this is where we find the seven woes that Jesus speaks to the scribes and the Pharisees. Matthew 23, beginning in verse 1. And Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so practice and observe whatever they tell you, but not what they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves, they're not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feast and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. So Jesus first speaks to the truth that they preach, but they do not practice. Then he says they tie up heavy burdens on others, but they will not move a finger to move them themselves. Jesus says they do good deeds, but the purpose of their deeds is to be seen by others. And this righteousness before the Lord is unacceptable. Skip down to verse 13 of Matthew 23. This is where we find woe number one. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. The word woe, this speaks of the divine judgment of God. Look at verse 15, woe too. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You travel across the sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when you they become a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Verse 16, woe three. Woe to you, blind guides. So whoever swears by the altar swears by it, and everything on it. Whoever swears by the temple swears by it, and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God, and by him who sits upon it. Verse 23, woe for. Woe to you. Scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you, tithe mint and dill and cummin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law—justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done, without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel, camel. Verse 25, woe 5. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and the plate, and the outside also may be clean. Verse 27, woe 6. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Very harsh words. They knew the law. They were thought of as they are the ones who know the scriptures. They, they, we go to them for interpretation, and yet they are full of hypocrisy. And actually, them knowing the law, Jesus calls them lawlessness. Verse 29, woe 7. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of prophets Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape from being sentenced to hell? Reveal the unacceptable righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. They shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. They make others twice as much a child of hell as they are. They swear falsely. They neglect the weightier matters of the law. They abandon justice and mercy and faithfulness and they lift high other things. They clean the outside, but inside they are full of greed and self indulgence. They outwardly appear righteous and beautiful, but inwardly they are dead, full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. They are hypocrites, ignoring God, ignoring the word of God, and ignoring his prophets whom God sent. Jesus called them blind men, blind fools, and brood of vipers. They thought they were ready to meet the Lord, And the Son of God spoke words of judgment to them. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees is an unacceptable righteousness. If our righteousness is on their same level, we will not enter the kingdom of heaven. There is no self or inner righteousness. We don't approach the Lord based upon self. We don't approach the Lord based upon some righteousness that we have made up in our own hearts, in our own minds. The scribes and the Pharisees, they were looking to self for their justification. Remember, Jesus already preached the Beatitudes, the inner workings of God, the outward fruits of justification. They were not present in their life. The law of God reveals that there is no self-righteousness. We are all sinners who have not and cannot keep the law of God. There is no self-righteousness. There is also no earned righteousness. There is no earned righteousness. Even if we understand that we are dead in our sin, we dare not come before the Lord thinking, I can do this and I can be saved. I can do this, and this will build up, and all these things will add up, and I will appear before the Lord as good enough to enter heaven. There is no self-righteousness. There is no earned righteousness. Righteousness cannot be earned by us. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The law of God shows us that we are dead and we are unable to keep it. Therefore, righteousness cannot be earned by us. It is not our own doing. And yet, when you have conversations with many souls and you ask them about their salvation story, their first destination. The first thing to come out of their mouth is usually, well, I was baptized on this date, or this is what I have done. We never stand before the Lord thinking, I am standing before the Lord, and because I am going to enter heaven, it's because of anything that we have done. Many believe that their church attendance, their church activity, their once profession of faith... Their baptism will grant them entrance into the kingdom of heaven, but there is no earned righteousness. Righteousness is not our doing. It is God's doing. Our works, they cannot save us. They are painted as filthy rags before the Lord. Some believe themselves to be saved just like the scribes and the Pharisees claiming to know Jesus, but Jesus does not know them. Do not think or live like the scribes and the Pharisees. You cannot keep anything hidden from the Lord. Worship is not that of the outward appearance. Worship is a matter of the heart. And the Lord knows your heart. He knows if you outwardly appear righteous, but inwardly you are spiritually dead. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. As human beings, we cannot change our own hearts. The changing of your heart is a work of God. God does it or nothing happens. God must transform your heart. There is no outward fruit that pleases the Lord without a new heart given by the Lord. Matthew 7, 21-23, it is terrifying. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It's a matter of the heart. There is no self-righteousness and there is no earned righteousness. Our righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees or we will all fail to enter the kingdom of heaven. This building could hold 5,000 souls. We could be known in the community for going out and sharing the gospel. We could be known in the community for doing all these good works. But if our righteousness does not exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees, the only thing that we have built here is a temporary kingdom that is already fading. Area three, the only acceptable righteousness, the only acceptable righteousness Matthew 5, verse 20, if I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, Matthew 5, verse 20, does not tell us how we gain an acceptable righteousness. It just informs us that we must exceed or surpass that of the scribes and the Pharisees. In the words of D.A. Carson, verse 20 simply lays out the demand. However, I dare not stop the sermon now not discussing the only acceptable righteousness. When Jesus began his ministry, he preached, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Without repentance, there is no entrance into heaven. Christ called people to follow him. He called for obedience, that an acceptable righteousness requires men to not earn or to work for their salvation, but to be given a new heart. Because there is no self or inner righteousness, there is not an earned righteousness, there is only a given righteousness. It is a given righteousness. In Ezekiel 36, beginning in verse 24, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. What you don't find in this passage is this is what I did. This is what you did. This is what we did. We find God will do it. God will do it. God will do it. God gives you a new heart. God removes the heart of stone. God gives the heart of flesh. God gives the Holy Spirit. God causes a person to walk according to his statutes and his rules. I love what Ray Comfort said here when he speaks about the moral law of God. It stops the sinner's mouth from justifying itself. In the reading and the studying of the 10, it stops the sinner's mouth from justifying itself. Have you ever lied? Yes, I need to close my mouth because I'm a liar. The second thing, it helps the whole world realize they are guilty. Because I am a liar, I am guilty before a holy God. He cannot overlook sin. The third thing, it brings the knowledge of sin. It comes to my heart that I cannot deceive myself, that I am a sinner and I have fallen short. And number four, it acts as a schoolmaster because it brings us to Christ. That's why God gave it. The law of God was not given for us to earn our salvation. The law of God does not save. It was given to point us to the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. And Christ shows up on the scene in the New Testament, and he's the promise. Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from the works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is a man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So Abraham believed God. His faith was in the Lord. Romans 10, verses 3 and 4. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish your own, they did not submit to God's righteousness, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So we cannot establish our own righteousness. We need the righteousness of Christ for our entrance into heaven. Paul is even more clear in Philippians 3, verses 7-11 to to the church in Philippi. If, if anyone had anything to boast about, it was the Apostle Paul. But He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Christ not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that if I know him in the power of his resurrection, that may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So our only acceptable righteousness comes through faith in Jesus Christ. John Stott declared, Christian righteousness is greater than Pharisaic righteousness because it is deeper, being a righteousness of the heart. You see, we we dare not just look at the surface. We dare not say before the Lord, but I have done this, I have done this, I have done this. At the end of Matthew, moving on into the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus paints a picture of divine judgment and when he does, He talks about things they have done or things they have not done. And in standing before the Lord, can you imagine saying, Lord, but I've done this for you. I've done this for you. I've done this for you. Versus saying, Lord, when did I do this for you? Lord, when did I do this for you? Lord, when did I do this for you? you? It's not about what we have done. It's about being found in Christ. That our faith grabs hold of the righteousness of Christ. It's an alien righteousness. It is outside of us. Our works cannot save. The only work that saves is the work of Christ. God's righteousness, it works from the inside out, not the outside in. You cannot clean yourself up on the outside thinking, hopefully this will move inward. Salvation and worship is a matter of the heart. God changes a person's heart and sanctification will occur. Romans 4 verse 5, and to the one who does not work, but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So there is no self or inner righteousness. Righteousness. There is no earned righteousness. The only acceptable righteousness is a given righteousness. See, the light of the law, it points to Christ. Our faith, our hope, our trust must be in Jesus Christ because we need the righteousness of Christ to enter the kingdom of heaven. Without that righteousness, you will not enter. So the obvious question is, will you enter heaven? Will those in your family enter heaven? Those you know, will they enter? And so often we think that we have more time on this earth. Just remember that you're not the Lord. You don't know how much time that you have. We can make our plans and the Lord can say no. Today could actually be the last day that you have on this earth. Will you enter heaven? Will you call on Christ for salvation? Because we have this promise in Scripture, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So not just for the unbeliever in this room, but also for the believer in this room. As a believer, are you thinking more and more and more about the things that you do? Are you thinking more and more and more about what Christ has done? Like at Thanksgiving, were you thankful for what Christ has given you? His mercy that has overflowed upon you, how his mercies are new every morning. Are you overwhelmed with his grace? The fact that you can get up this morning, you can worship him, you can spend time with family and friends, that you have the joy of gathering with brothers and sisters in Christ, singing about the blood of Christ, the forgiveness that's found in Christ. Because if our righteousness does not exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Father, thank you for the wonderful truth, the wonderful reminder, Father, that without Christ, nobody will enter heaven. The words of Christ, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Christ is the only way that any sinner will enter heaven. And you have told us to repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, to turn from our sins and to turn towards you, trusting in Christ, the Savior that you have provided Father, take away our pride. May we stop thinking so much about what we've done, what we have done, what we're planning to do, and grow in us a greater intimacy, knowing more and more of what you have accomplished, what you are currently doing in our life, how you are growing us, how you are conforming us more into the image of your son. Take away our pride and fill us with great humility. Thank you for your holy word